mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 73 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio Technica. And man, we have something very special for you this week. I probably say that every week, but this is something really individually unique because we've got Tom Marshall here, the Kiwi fact checker. How are you doing? I'm very well, John. How are you? I'm good, but you're not the guest. You haven't qualified for that yet. <laughs> yes. Yet. I'll get you in here one day, I'm sure. But I'll just find a way to get my friends on the show. But uh, this week, we've got the Rainbite developers, Jared Trail and Tom Butler. For people who don't know, Rainbite is a small Kiwi independent game studio. They've just released their first console game, Reverie, at the start of this year. And you're somewhat of a super fan. And I thought it would be fun to get you in here to kind of give your perspective as a Kiwi and someone who's kind of in the development world. Not that it's games, but you can maybe talk about your background for a little bit if you want. Yeah, yeah. So I I think I've accidentally fallen into that super fan category of following <laughs> them on, on Twitter and engaging a fair bit. And but just generally being really interested given it's a New Zealand developer and, and has some some great New Zealand themes. And, and when it came out and I actually got to play it, it was a good game, really enjoyable, and and it's on and the Vita. It was on Vita, and sort of jam packed with uh, with cultural references that I I really appreciated. So yeah, hmm. yeah, and in my day job, I'm a, a product manager for a, a electricity retailer here in uh, New Zealand. But that's all about um, engagement with developers, development teams, uh, and helping to build software for customers. Um, so there's some interesting parallels between game development and the work that I do. Yeah, I played the game after you recommended it to me. These guys were kind enough to provide a code so I could play through it and do this interview. And I think it went really well. It's it's really interesting to hear the story behind such a small project coming together. So a lot of people have probably seen some stories like this through things like the indie game, the movie documentary about Jonathan Blow's Braid, Phil Fisher's Fez and the Super Meat Boy development. So yeah, there's a lot of this stuff kicking around, but it's interesting to hear firsthand from, I guess, especially first time developers, how it's come together. So that was pretty cool. I thought, how did you find the interview? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. They they gave some really cool insights into games development, how they came up with the idea, and even on the relatively lightly, but on their relationship with Sony and East Asia Soft, um, getting the game mm. published, um, some promotion and and physical versions made. So, yeah, mm. absolutely. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, the iTunes review of the week. I know you're dying to hear this, Tom. I am. Is it my one? We're, we're back. Well, no, we've done yours. That was a while ago. <laughs> Thanks for that. But last week was the first time in a long time, no review. So we're back in action now. We've got two here, but I'll read the first one. It's called, well, the, the headline is Loving the Pod with two exclamation marks. So there's enthusiasm there. And it comes from Nivlak Attack. I don't know what that means, but they say, just started following the podcast, loving the refreshing one-on-one -on -one interviews with loads of fascinating individuals. Well, I'm very sorry to d disappoint this week uh, with a two-on-two -two special <laughs> uh, special episode. Yeah, yeah, two-on-two. -two. We're trying to mix it up. Hearing Jared Petty go more in depth about his time in Japan and beyond was something God. I've been wanting to hear for a while, and I loved it. Keep up the great work, Jono. What a great review. Thank you so much. And it's worth noting that to go hand-in-hand -hand with this podcast 
is a, a written piece that I put together based on the interview that's appearing on okbeast.com that will be out if not now then very soon and I'm sure you'll see that on the socials but yeah without further ado here is Tom Butler and Jared Trail from Rainbite. Okay, thank you for joining us, Tom Butler and Jared Trail. It's all right. Yep. The, the, the distinction of saying Tom Butler is that we also have Tom Marshall here. Hello. Let's get straight into it. Guys, tell us who you are. We know that you've made Reverie, but how did you meet and how did this game come together? Well, we met in uni and the first year we kind of didn't really know each other very well, but we we met at least. And then in the second and third years, we actually started working together on various uni projects. And then during our third year project, when we were already making a, a game, we decided that we would we worked pretty well together, and we continued on. And you were studying? We were studying programming. We were all yeah. studying. All three of us yeah. were studying programming. Sure. And were you guys always into games and messing around with programming and that kind of thing, or was it something you kind of came across when you had to pick a study? Uh, in high school, I was introduced to programming, and I quite enjoyed it. Um, and then I actually happened upon a YouTube ad for our school, our university that we went to. So that's kind of what got me into into it. Mm. Yeah, I, I pretty much hadn't done any programming prior. I think I was the only one in the class that hadn't actually like tried to do programming before. <laughs> but I knew that I could. I like games and I like math. And then people were like, you can do programming with those things. And I was like, all right, I can do that then. And so mm. tried that. And yeah, it's kind of how it came about, I guess. And so how did you get from that point to actually deciding let's make a real game one that we can sell and market and be you know really proud of and put out into the world see what happens i think it's mainly from doing the uni projects because we did a lot of group projects in uni because the the course was uh for game creating games specifically not just programming in general Hmm. so we'd done a couple of projects and we got to a point where we knew how to do it or you'd learn things by doing them wrong and you try and fix it and so you get to this point and we we thought we could we could plan out a whole game and we could do it in a certain amount of time and that we were all going to dedicate that time and not like you know quit or anything in, in that time to try and complete something and we feel like we succeeded mostly we just um we went a bit over the time we allocated i guess but overall i think it was pretty pretty well planned probably with reverie itself what was the origin of it and how did the idea come up you know how did you decide to make a new zealand centric throwback to kind of old school adventure games it was kind of interesting. We every almost every day at uni, whenever we go up for lunch, Daniel would always come up with some idea. He'd be like, oh, "I've been thinking of this idea," and it just kind of like spelt something not spelt some some you know whatever <laughs> to us. And then it's like some some of them were pretty good. Some of them were kind of like, "Yeah, okay, I guess that's interesting." Um, but then one day he came up with this idea of who oh, wants to make a game similar to uh, like the older Zelda style games, and he pitched it as like a Zelda style game, but with our childhood memories of summer holidays involved, and we're like in New Zealand, yeah, yeah so like in New Zealand, so we're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And then the following lunch times and the following weeks, we talked about it more and more and more over lunch times, and eventually we're like, we can actually probably do this as long as we like, you know, real, really like stuck to it. So mm. yeah, it was, it was helpful to have like a structure as well for like we knew what the game structure would already be because we we're basing it on like games before so you kind of you're not doing anything too experimental so it's pretty easy to plan out the whole process and hmm. allocate a good amount of time for it and at that point do you kind of have to look at it from the perspective of where two or three people i don't know what it was at that time and what's too ambitious what can we pull off and, and still make into quite a good game 
we, yeah, knowing we had three people and also knowing that we all did programming degrees, someone had to do art because we hmm. didn't have an artist that we would want to dedicate their time for their allocation. And Daniel had done pixel art before, but he did the whole programming degree like us. So it, it was a like some decisions had to be made. Like, will you dedicate all this time to doing art, even though it's not exactly what you want to do? But we can still, we, but we think we can make a good game out of it if you can do it. Sure. So you're essentially coming at it from all a programming background and not realizing or not having experience with the many many facets of what goes into making a game is that basically where you had to figure out who was going to cover what areas kind of we yeah, knew pretty, a lot pretty of much. I mean, but you could talk about your marketing the stuff that you just get to jump into I yeah guess, well want. that was a bit interesting but yeah um we kind of um we, we already knew about how to like all the bits of you know a game that needs to come together because of our degree we studied mm. games so we know we knew all about that it we did just, do game design. Yeah, we did. We learned a lot of game to... design stuff. Yeah, true. Yeah, but um, yeah, putting it all together, um, with just three of us was definitely not uh, easy. But it happened. Um, yeah, but in marketing, I kind of grew up around it. My mum and my dad both did market various marketing jobs and stuff like that. Um, so I had a bit of experience, like offhand experience, I guess. But other than that, it was just kind of just sit on Twitter and hope I pick up some <laughs> things <laughs> along the way. I think some of it is common sense. Um, yeah. And we, we did actually learn even some marketing stuff at uni as well because we had, they definitely talked to us about like, you can't just release a game and be like, why does nobody care about it? Uh, <laughs> it's a good game and I just put it out. You definitely have to like work on it throughout the duration. And I mean, a lot of people have liked how we've done our marketing with involving a lot of people in the creation of it, of the game and everything. You can't just throw it into that steam vacuum, can you? And just no. here's here's another game for the pile. That's partially why we picked beta as well early on. We that was actually one of the earlier things we picked when we picked the project is we were like, we want to make a game for the beta before it's completely gone. <laughs> and if we do it, you'll hit like a niche of people that are really passionate about wanting to buy those kind of games or like spread the word. When if you put it on Steam it's a bit more you're just hoping for the best and it could go mm. terribly. So Yeah, it seems like a smart move because I mean the the fact that it's you know coming from New Zealand probably is playing a large part in that as well. But even in our community of of um, friends and you know shared interests on social media, Tom and I, Tom Marshall and I have both you know talked about this game and had people say, "Oh, I'll pick that up. I love mm. these kinds of games. We love Vita games. We love easy yeah. platinum trophies. We love that." <laughs> and I think even just this morning, Tom was posting about it in the kind of funny group, and someone said they were going to pick it up. So you've definitely tapped into yeah, something. I had nice. uh, I had three people reply like, "Oh, that's been on my radar, or it's on my wish list," and just mm. just just buy it. Yeah, it's it's well worth it. It's really good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that kind of brings me around to why I've got Tom Marshall here. He's the Kiwi of my uh, friendship group. Token Kiwi. <laughs> and uh, I thought it would be cool to have Tom kind of tackle some questions from that perspective because it's impossible to ignore that part of this game it's such a huge part of the flavor of it and the character and even the story itself is as you mentioned it's you know those memories of i guess your uh childhood summers and and that might be something that goes over a lot of people's heads it might be something that you kind of understand what it's trying to do but like for me i don't know how faithful it is to what it actually is like to grow up in new zealand so it's it's cool to maybe get tom to talk to that as well so hit, hit them with those questions tom <laughs> some heart-hitting questions yeah I, I guess the first thing that i was thinking of was um 
maybe, well, maybe you've already answered it the the why so New Zealand centric and if that's a reflection of your your time growing up and whether you ever worried about the impact that that would have on people picking it up if it's just a an even smaller niche of Kiwi consumers that think uh, th- that pick up the undies and togs references on the beach um, <laughs> from the Fruju ads and and bits like that. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because it's like we 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 did spend a lot of time during like when when we were designing some of the um, areas of the game and some of the um, dialogue and stuff. It's like, all right, what's going to be like a really good reference, but also funny to un- people who don't understand the reference at the same mm. time. Mm. So like the Togs and Undies one is a really good example because like it's just a funny sentence, right? When that ad first came out on TV, everyone just thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And so, well, it's a similar situation to anyone from outside New Zealand. They'll look, they'll see that like that's random and funny, and when they think about it, they go, oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, you wear your budgie smugglers at the beach, you wear them in the town. It's two different, completely different <laughs> items of clothing, right? Yeah. So it's like yeah, it's funny, but then for New Zealand, for for us Kiwis, it's like, oh. I understand where that line is from. Like that's and that's like a different layer of of depth. So yeah, I mean, that's uh, quite funny because I, <laughs> I just cut in to say I didn't obviously grow up with that ad on TV, so I had no idea it was a reference to something. I just thought it was a funny joke yeah. because mm. you know I, I guess Aussies have the same expressions of togs and budgie smugglers. That might be a bit of a, a more of a cultural gap outside of the Oceania area, but yeah, I think people can put two and two together. Mm. I mean, it might even look better for us because people may think we thought of the joke and then, <laughs> and then it's like, great, yeah. you know, people just think we're really good, but really we're just like doing a lot of references, which I mean, some, even people, I mean, a lot of people get like the Hunt for the Water People stuff, which is like, you know, New Zealand movie, but a lot of people know about it because Taika. Well, but, yeah, uh, because he, he went on to direct Thor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So. <laughs> I'm interested if there are any other examples like that because I'd, I'd never thought of it as a... Um, taking the joke not quite out of context but taking the joke out of that ad and putting it into the game and intentionally to be funny by itself um, and I guess it's just my experience that goes oh that's the Fruju ad that's fantastic mm. yeah so I, I wonder if there are ever any other in- bits where you intentionally kind of I guess took the reference out but still made the joke and, and I would have just picked it up entirely differently than Jono yeah, I don't really know. It's it, like a lot of the jokes we we didn't really th- think too much about whether or not people would 100% get it. It was kind of like if you got it, you'd enjoy it, mm. and if you didn't, I mean, you, I guess it would just go over your head and you wouldn't really care. And and some of them definitely aren't New Zealand jokes. They were just like whenever we thought we could fit a joke, and we kind of tried, especially with like dialogue and um, it's almost every every sentence we possibly could. Mm. Yeah, just because. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's enjoyable to like to, if you're talking to each character if they actually say something funny it's more memorable than if they say something that's like I don't know serious or yeah there was whatever. a lot there was a lot of humor in the game which I appreciated so was was the actual writing a challenge for you guys as more mathematical and programming background is was writing something you had to kind of try extra hard at is it something that you didn't have a background in yeah pretty much. <laughs> We, we we pretty like all three of us didn't um we weren't that great at English ever like or you know doing the writing and like we had essays at uni not many but like when you did them everyone was like struggling because everyone's a program and not really wanting to do writing <laughs> but yeah we, we just had to I mean do our best it's not like we'd never trained to do it but we were like I mean we've played games a lot we try and 
we know what game dialogue sounds like, I guess, but um, yeah, just want to make some jokes, really. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting interpretation of like the Maui creation myth as well, right? Because um, you, you didn't quite follow that to the letter or 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 anything. It's just sort of inspired by. Um, was that intentional, or did you not want to appropriate that or something? Or I mean, the the main thing I guess for the story was we wanted to. I guess gamify it in a way because we had an idea of how many dungeons we wanted to do and mm. that changes the story because you say how many brothers there'd be which I mean it's a small part but it's you know it's keeping it less accurate mm. to what it would be and, and you know gamifying it being like each one could be a boss so you have that all set up I, I guess that that changes the story but yeah initially it was like obviously we're not fishing at New Zealand because we want to make our own island so it's inherently going to be changed no matter what we do mm. but yeah I mean and some of it you know being like they each have the hooks because I mean it's a whole fisherman thing so that just related to what the item would be when you defeat each boss and so they kind of like feed into each other I guess the the story and the games kind of like change each other when you make the story yeah so is there a lot like in game design then that you got figured out already or in in this example maybe like you've chosen that you wanted um x number of dungeons and so that forces your hand in in the story or what sort of compromises like that have you got to make? Sometimes it's the story. Sometimes it would be, I guess, the world. Because initially we had, I think it was, um, we wanted to do six main dungeons. We had to cut one, and then we added the bonus one at the end. Sounds and, like uh, six still. But the um, we actually went, one of the first dungeons we created was um, Daniel like definitely wanted to do an idea of having the dungeon that spins, which is the crypt dungeon. Mm. He really mm. liked that idea. So it was like a worldwide, I mean, like a a dungeon-wide puzzle where that is something you want to do and so that was doing that puzzle we had to think of where that would make sense like what scenario that makes sense and, and yeah i don't know it, it is interesting to see like that we had to cut some things but it, it didn't we still had a pretty good idea of like what we wanted to have as an overall structure and we, we, knew, we knew that we had to have a certain amount of dungeons otherwise it like wouldn't be enough but um we definitely did cut back when we had to did you cut back then on because of time because you you mentioned a couple of times that you kind of laid out a plan for um how long you wanted to spend on it and maybe ran over a little bit but what did you have to cut and how long did you actually give yourselves i don't know if we i don't know if we actually touched yeah that. um well the, the original plan was that we were gonna do i think actually initially we said six months which was never gonna happen but um because because we, we talked to family members and stuff and they're like you can't just come out of uni and not get a job and we're like yeah i mean well, we could try so we um <laughs> w- when we finally set on it it was uh, we were gonna say a year and i mean it, we pretty much got out of uni and we i think two weeks later we started working on it we pretty much didn't take a break and that was in must have been october or november it was november that we like actually started. i remember sitting down in october like you guys came to my place and we just like sat around a computer and like bust like just busted out a bunch of ideas but then we don't mm-hmm. think we actually got like, properly into working it until november of, well, I mean, of 2017 actually, yes uh no uh, 16 16 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say <sighs> no yeah no definitely not 2017 <laughs> but yeah we, we definitely had the idea it, it was being created i think probably halfway through that year was in 2016 then where we started to try and think it through so we weren't do, like, actually making much of it we, we did some basic movement and like setting up the screen changing and then um we did just try plan it out and obviously we we're working on uni stuff so we didn't actually make too much of it but then so we kind of knew what we were doing straight we got out and we just tried to we, we did say yeah and theoretically it would be a year from october but 
I don't know. Uh, from that point, I think we, when did we when did we finish the game? I don't even know. It came out March, right? Yeah. Are we finished it kind of February ish? Oh, yeah, we finished it. It's just Sony stuff took a while to get yeah. to get through to mm. actually release mm. it. Yeah. Sure. It seems like such a huge part of uh, putting a game together as a small group of indies is time management. So how did you kind of balance that? If if it was around working other jobs or between studying, how did you find time to put this together when you had a, a schedule to work to? We all lived at home, which was quite helpful in terms of like, yeah. rent mm. or board or Costs any of that. And stuff, Costs yeah. are quite minimal. Um, but I had a part-time job on the weekend to at least pay for, pay for board and food and that sort of stuff. I know Daniel had a he had a part time job working Thursday Friday, and then he would catch up on Reverie work on in his spare time either at nights or on the weekends. It was supposed to, it was supposed to be pretty much full time, and yeah. I I didn't have a secondary job, but I, I had money saved from like government loan stuff that is like the interest free loan. So I'm just using that to like <laughs> like coast by and live off that pretty much. Yeah. Cost related um, costs. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I was using and. Then obviously, like the I guess the risk would be if you can make enough money back, it won't matter. Which sure. I'd say we've definitely made the money back that we spent in that year because cost of living at home is pretty low. Mm. <laughs> but it's kind of like we have to make that money back for the time we worked, and then do we have enough money to do another game in the future? Otherwise, essentially, we just like have no money again. So mm. I don't know. We're probably doing all right, but uh, the time limit was kind of just self-imposed. The schedule that we put on ourselves, we just wanted to I guess like assure people around us that we weren't going to just like take. 10 years to make a game that was our dream game or something we definitely wanted to get it out and Mm -hmm. not just have a drag on or anything yeah i think we have a good perspective of like scoping your games and scope and and the world you know so it's like okay we can't just take five years to make a game and then it's going to take off and we're going to be millionaires like that's not how it happens (laughs) you know so we like we know that we've got to set a time time frame for the game make it get it out there if it's a month or two over it's not like that big a deal but it's nice if it's you know in, within that time frame and then it's like get on to the next project don't like mm-hmm. flail around going we're making money yay because that's useless yeah. yeah and also try to expand too much when you when you've made one game don't try and like make a massive one for the next one and tr- try and keep your scope lowish like our plan is to make smaller games so we can keep steadier money coming in like we don't mm. want to take like a two-year project that we might never finish mm so yeah that's kind of fine there must have been a lot that you learnt throughout this course of, of making this game that will I guess help with the next one right yeah there's there's a lot of I mean I mean when, you, when you're always making games you're always you're always learning things especially about like because we're just using Unity we pretty much learn a lot about the game engine and you definitely learn a lot about the techniques and this was the first time for us trying to do Sony side stuff which Daniel did a lot of but he's definitely learned how to do it so hopefully it's quicker because that also is quite time consuming and you lo- you learn the things that you have to do earlier than later um which we because because of our the whole writing thing which we mentioned before we um didn't get around to it for a while because we kind of put it off focusing on gameplay and stuff more and then when you go to translate a game you have to, we translate to seven languages and if you put that too late that kind of holds everything off as well which is yeah there was a lot of uh yeah periods of time we were like we're like we're done we just got to wait for this translation to come through or we got to wait for this or email back from Sony or yeah <laughs> like we've got this box art coming through it's like okay so there's like there was I think there was a time where we waited for about a week for like we did nothing on Reverie we just <laughs> waited until we got something in it's like okay cool now we can put that into the game oh, man. that was that was the time where we were essentially platinuming the, the game on our computers doing yeah. testing just hoping we couldn't we all break just played in the and... game over and over and over and over and over again yeah and then the first couple of hours it comes out we found a people found a bug that we hadn't found for 
and I platinum the game like five times. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like, horrible. How did they find this bug? As I did actually um, notice when I played through uh, a game yesterday that when I, when I played on Vita, um, the playing pong with the microwave, the uh, the puck got stuck behind it, and I had to on Vita turn the whole thing off and start again um, but it uh, it magically worked on PS4 when it got stuck behind there we had a couple yeah. seconds and it resets to the middle they, they've both been patched now the Vita version yeah. does have that patch but that is something that we actually talked about like when we did it we were like do we let the person stay in there because we, we didn't think it could get stuck from what we'd done with the logic of it mm. um, but we were like do we put an exit door in to allow people to exit and we're like oh no we'll let it just play out and then whoever wins wins and then I mean, it was the same with the other bug. I mean, I'm assuming you guys know about the bug when the game came out and you could re-enter dungeons and you weren't supposed to be able to. I didn't know that. No, I, I knew okay. it was. A, I knew it was something to do with the dungeons. I thought it was maybe that like you couldn't leave once you were in and had beaten it or something. Yeah, like that. well, it, it is to do with that because the game logic is like you go inside and you're not supposed to leave until you finish it, but you're also not supposed to be able to re-enter it. So if you re-enter it. And like you're not supposed to, but somehow a couple of the dungeons were allowed you to re-enter. You couldn't get out, and you couldn't exit by getting the hook because you already had it, and so <laughs> oh. it wouldn't appear. And so people were completely stuck. And that was one of those things where it's like um, progression bugs are the worst because it essentially ruins your save. Hmm. And we tried to fix it as soon as possible, but we were in um, Wellington, I think, at, the, at that moment at that yeah, um, we game, when the game released. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was a very stressful weekend. <laughs> yeah, so stressful. Oh no. I imagine that, yeah, indie developers just have one of those stories. Like, everyone's got one of those stories, so that's yours, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's kind of crazy that it still happened because um, we have Isagersoft as a physical publisher and they played through the game with their QA team and um, Sony of Japan does pretty thorough QA and no one found it <laughs> at all. So it kind of it's kind of crazy, but yeah. That's uh, one of the other things that we were both wondering about is the process of working with Sony and getting certified and getting trophies and all that kind of thing approved. Like, what what was that experience like as first timers? Daniel knows a lot about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we we still had to, I mean, deal with him relaying stuff to us. But he yeah. he um, there is even a problem. We I don't know how much we can say to be honest. I don't know what we're not allowed to say. But you have to have a static IP essentially to have proper contact with um all their forums so that they know you're like a proper developer mm. and um, only he had that because it cost money to do that and we didn't want to waste money on multiple people mm. so essentially he relayed a lot of the stuff but um, it, it was, it's actually surprisingly easy especially to start up as a Sony developer you essentially I mean Daniel did do it but it just sounded like you just send an email through like can we do it you have to send through a, a document GDD document which just describes what your game is and then they essentially accept or reject it but I mean it seemed pretty easy to get accepted I don't know <laughs> well, yeah, looking at some quality of you know, some of these games that are getting released, it's like, man. Life of Black Tiger is a classic. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got Slide sitting on my, uh, whatever the oh, yeah. PS4 cross-media bar right? is as well. Yeah, that's like the 30-second look at 50 photos to get a platinum trophy. Uh, oh, is, oh, is, that, right. is that that, that 5,000-star rated thing? Oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. 1,000-star one, 1, yeah. plus A rated or something oh, like that. Geez. Yeah, yeah that was... that's, it released oh, as no. that in America and then released in Europe as Slide. It's a better name. <laughs> it is. It is a better name, but <laughs> still the same terrible $2 product. Yeah. So there weren't too many hoops you had to jump through to actually get through to a PlayStation store and all that kind of thing? Not not really. Overall, it was it was mainly the end stuff where you're 
trying to get everything correctly applied for the thing and also one thing which i didn't realize but i think daniel might have known but we didn't do it quick enough was um you have to have store translations for europe to release in the country even mm. if your game's not in the language you have to translate to um i think it's like 10 or something languages so we just gave away free copies to people that would do it for us so. <laughs> yeah. twitter was quite handy for that it was like who wants to translate the this you know it was not very long maybe a paragraph or so, or so. yeah mm. just like if you do it we'll give you a free copy we got a few emails <laughs> nice. so people really want cool. free stuff yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's cool what does the ongoing relationship look like with sony or or does it at all like do you guys have somebody that you keep in touch with or that that checks in with you as as like an indie development team and i'm kind of intrigued as to whether at some point um before March of next year when they scrap them all like do we see Reverie on PS Plus or something like that yeah uh, I don't actually know how the application for that goes but um, you, you do get assigned like a person that's like your email contact hmm. in, in the region you're in though which gets confusing if you want to release in Europe and America like, like most people do we only actually got like one dedicated person because we're counted as Europe um but then you you can there is people to email especially through like the the developer website you can find contacts and um get in contact with people but there is time zone problems obviously where it's like they're 12 hours behind us so anytime we want an urgent thing they're asleep and then we're asleep and it just like yeah. loops terribly <laughs> essentially the yeah it's not it's not great turnaround for those kind of messages so I'm interested in the porting process because a lot of uh, indies will develop a game for PS4 and then say that the Vita version's coming and it will take yep. longer than they expect. Like, first of all, how hard is it to make kind of two versions or however that works? And secondly, was it simpler for you because you started with the Vita in mind? Yeah, we started with the Vita um, first. We didn't. We we planned on porting to PS4 once the Vita was done, but um, since East Asia Soft reached out to us um, quite early on, we managed to get the PS4 one at a similar similar time but mm. yeah the if you, if we started with ps4 and then tried to go to vita i'm sure it would be a completely different story <laughs> right. um but the, yeah. the, the vita baseline was good for performance because yeah. if you test it on that you'll easily run on a ps4 so. sure and then it's just right click save as right yeah it's pretty easy you just pretty export much. it you know yeah. it's all done <laughs> <laughs> you do have to have your um like the plugin for the console you can't just like save as ps4 build you got to make sure you've got your um the ps4 plugin for unity that we use but yeah once you've got that then it is literally just export uh ps4 oh. it, it, it's he's making it sound a little bit too easy it, 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 <laughs> it, it is it is that easy to ex like to create a thing like you can pretty much get any especially unity game mm. if you have the plugin to export you can just export it and it'll create a thing but you may have terrible performance problems or you may have things where like certain shaders don't work like we have vita we had problems where things like it makes absolutely no sense but essentially you set a color and like you don't think a color could change but on vita the purple was pink Jeez. and it was legitimately like the color changed and then i I'd changed the color and then it would be correct but then you put it to a certain purple and it would just go pink and you're like why is this happening i don't know you can, it's actually it's actually in the game you can see it in the vita and ps4 have different colors and some things and it doesn't make any sense that's funny but the the biggest thing is saving and um and e even between vita and ps4 trophies are actually handled slightly differently hmm. but sa saving's the biggest thing because ps4 i think is more pc like in terms of how it like does its file structure and vita has its own weird system which is different and so yeah it's not the same across everything which th that's probably the hardest part um 
because yeah, it's, it's, it's just difficult. <laughs> a proprietary system on the Vita. I don't believe I you. Know. I know. <laughs> oh man! And so, with what you've uh, experienced with those two versions, how hard would it be to then say put one out on the Nintendo Switch at this point? Yes, uh, and is that a plan? <laughs> that, that is that is the next thing. Um, the we've, we've wanted to do the Switch. Well, because actually, we, we when we started the game, the Switch didn't exist. Mm. So we, yeah, we, we never actually planned point. from the beginning. But once we once we knew about it, we were like, that would be great. We just don't know how hard it is to get a Nintendo thing because they were definitely limiting when the Switch came out. They were definitely limiting which developers could mm. could yeah. um, apply or even get one. So. It is a. It is something that we want to do, though, and we'll when we can, we'll get to it. It's just one of those. It's just it's, we have it's, other things. I mean, you, you guys might have seen that we uh, just announced the next thing. We're porting someone else's game. I uh, did see that. Yes, yeah. which is exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I'm gonna. I have a question now for Tom Marshall. He's sitting there in his uh, Reverie T-shirt. I guess you could got say he's a super fan. He's got the two platinum trophies. That's the same yeah. shirt I'm wearing. Yeah, <laughs> two, two more I'm, incoming as well. Is what with physical? Yeah, I got the physical versions too, but I've no nice. idea where they are. There's a tracking code yeah. in the email, but I haven't clicked it. Yeah, we don't have ours yet to be fair. So, <laughs> so I'm curious: did you discover this game through the New Zealand connection, or was it more the the Greg Miller kind of funny connection, which we'll talk about once you've answered the question? Oh, I th- I think I actually found it on PSN profiles. Um, <laughs> no, no, it was on it was on Twitter somewhere. Um, there was one of the Vita Lives type accounts had done a um, here's ten or fifteen or twenty Vita games to look forward to upcoming, or maybe maybe at that point it was to look forward to in two thousand and seventeen. Um, yeah, I, found, I was just perusing, um, spotted it on there, and then that it was an Auckland-based team or studio, I kind of went, oh, sweet. I'll, uh, I'm pretty keen to support the local homegrown talent kind of thing. And then it turned out to be a great game as well. <laughs> it's bonus. Which, yeah, which is okay. like like added added bonus, right? Bought it once, and, uh, and it was pretty fantastic. Um, so just on the train. So, yeah, so when you saw that... Uh, Greg was somehow connected to it. That must have been surprising. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember how that came up. It might have just been in in Twitter conversations again, right? That you guys had shared the game with Greg for his um, trophy advice or whatever he was yeah. kind of spouting yes. it at that point. That was, it was a very specific K, KFGD that he was talking about. We, we, we like took the opportunity. He was essentially like, I'll help any developer with their trophy list. And we're like, that'll be... A way that we can get him to know about the game if we can get him mm. to help us like figure it out that yeah yeah so we tweeted at him as soon as we've as soon as he said that on his podcast yeah. we immediately tweeted at him saying hey we've got a game for you to you know check out the trophies for whatever for and then so then he sent us a um private message saying yeah send through your trophy list or whatever unfortunately we didn't actually have our trophy list at that stage because <laughs> it was quite early on we just had to jump at the opportunity mm. um, yeah. but we did send him the trophy list uh eventually and he got around to checking it out and basically just asked us a couple of questions you know like is there any trophies that you have to grind for is there any any ones you have to, any missable trophies yeah. you know that yeah. and then we we're like not nah, none of that he's like oh okay well it's a pretty good trophy list then and that was it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I think it was just coincidental that um it was yeah that you guys were or or somebody in the group was a, a kind of funny fan as well in in 
Yeah, by some extension. Yeah, yeah. The, the three of us, well, mainly uh, Jared, has been watching Planet of Honey for a long time. Mm. But um, I only started <laughs> watching in 2017, into oh, 2016. I started watching. But um, I I used to watch them on Beyond and stuff with um with Colin oh, yeah. and everything. And then I kind of went went off for a while and then came back and the whole kind of funny thing. And I was like, it's pretty it's pretty sick. Yeah. Daniel <laughs> watched a bit it's... as well, I I believe. He, he watched a bit. He he did like um Colin's political stuff quite a lot, which okay. is um what he was there for, for quite a lot. But yeah, it's funny because when I got to the church in the game and the reverend was called Jared, I was like, "Hey Tom, <laughs> this is a reference to Jared Petty," and he's like, oh, "It's probably more the, the developer that's named Jared." That's named it, it, it was a bit of a that was like a really late late name change thing, but it, it was it's kind of a bit of both, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Mm. nice. I'm I, glad to hear. That. I hadn't picked that up as well. <laughs> the reverend yeah. though come on yeah that's what I was thinking I, I was walking in there I was like it'd be cool if this guy's name was Jared and it was it was kind of one of those like wow moments <laughs> yeah. I guess it's fun that there is those little kind of funny beyond IGN kind of type references as well right to to capture some of yeah well, we've got hopefully tickle some of that audience too yeah, yeah, we've got that kind of funny poster on the mm. on the arcade. Yeah, smiley. All the, yeah, <laughs> the uh, Kiwi laser flag as well. Ah, uh, yeah, that was that, a classic. That was a that was a great find when I spotted that. And I think it's what's, at, what's that one? Oh, so there was a referendum. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> there was a referendum here two years ago, maybe three years ago. To change the flag. To change the flag, and some yeah. of the public submissions were absolutely quality um including one that was like a black flag with a microsoft paint kiwi shooting green lasers out of its eyes um okay. <laughs> yeah which caught some attention and that one was getting up there with the with the it got voting. quite high up yeah. yeah wow and you can find that it would have been pretty special <laughs> i did i did like the all blacks um training facility i, I thought that was a cool little joke yeah I, I think that's where the flag is, actually. Yeah, that's where it the flag is. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's inside so, that cave. Okay, so guys, I've got a few questions that I ask most guests. So I'll throw them at you. What was the hardest part of of getting to this point, making this game, putting it out? I think probably trying to get the um, the attention of everyone who wants to buy the game <laughs> mm. it was pretty hard, man, because true. we've never done it before. Um, you know, it was like the first time trying to market a game is like, what do I even do? And probably setting like expectations as well. Like, is this game gonna exactly yeah. be the the sleeper hit, or is it gonna kind of just, <laughs> just go under the radar? It's yeah. probably hard to know exactly how it's gonna work. Exactly, it was really hard. So, um, well, when we started doing our marketing, it was kind of like, well, I guess we don't have anything to lose if we just show everyone what we're doing as we do it. So that was kind of our marketing plan, I guess, was just like get everyone involved in the creation, and everyone seemed to love that. So, yeah, I think we'll continue doing that for our next uh, yeah. <laughs> next next project. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah that was kind of I think that was probably the hardest thing um, keeping consistent schedule like posting schedule on Twitter it was mm-hmm. just like make sure we're posting every I think it was Monday Wednesday Friday, Friday Saturday. Saturday yeah yeah trying trying sometimes we don't <laughs> we missed one day every now and then but yeah it was um, it was difficult trying to come up with content a lot it was at the start it was pretty easy because we already had a few a few months kind of backed up and we just kind of we had heaps of content flowing through and then it, nearing the end it's like what do we even post now? We can't, like, there's a certain point where we can't just share everything that we're working on or else we're going to be spoiling the end of the game. So it's like, yeah. what do we do? So yeah, that yeah. was kind of difficult. That's when we started doing, like, behind-the-scenes stuff and all that sort of, like, random 
we, we do need to get on to doing a bit, bit more behind the scenes. So I think I think it'll be interesting to show people, uh, like, I don't know, I guess how we design specifically certain parts of dungeons, because we wouldn't want to spoil that before the game comes out, but it, it would be yeah. pretty keen to show some of yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Now that the game's out, I guess, what has it been like to see the reaction, to see uh, it popping up in Japanese magazines and people sh- sharing their platinum screenshots with you all over the world? It's pretty cool, really. <laughs> I didn't expect to get that big of a audience, to be fair. But um, yeah, it's quite humbling, I think. Yeah, it's very surreal. Like you, you never really think. Well, because we've made games before, and there's definitely you're like, oh, only it's like a phone game. It's free, and you only get like a hundred downloads, and you're like, okay, no one really cares. But um, seeing people actually like care about the game and like wanting to buy stuff, and yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy to have people like care about something you create that you're like. I don't know, it just came from our heads, I guess, and then we just made it, and then people just seem to love it, but it's good. Very cool. I can only imagine. I mean, I've written a book, but this is a completely different thing because, <laughs> uh, you know, you've got people like Tom here wearing your T-shirts, wanting that physical version that comes with the, you know, the map and all that yeah. kind of thing. It's a level of fandom that I guess you can only really dream of. Yeah. If you'd release putting in work on CD, Jono, I'd buy a copy. <laughs> uh, might might make vinyl. this the very first physical release. <laughs> Maybe you can include it in the, the physical versions of the, of Reverie Super Collector's Edition. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the Switch version. We'll see. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. What would be your advice to anyone out there who wants to make a game? I mean, I know a lot of people that have talked about making games, uh, and you know, obviously, it's not an easy thing to do. So often, it doesn't go anywhere or it just takes years and years and you guys have seemed to put together a darn good game in a fairly short amount of time so what's your advice to people on getting it done scope well it's a big one think of like think of what game you're trying to make don't make an MMO that's ridiculous lots of people try and do that and it's that's just silly don't even bother start with something small (laughs) and make sure like you set your your expectations right and be like okay I want this like this game for Reverie Reverie's not a good example because it's like we want five dungeons it's not that many it's not that many and we don't want to we don't want to spread them out so far that it's going to take forever to get to each dungeon so keep the world small so that was quite good you know, like yeah, limit, I mean, limit yourself there's a thing called um feature creep which a lot of people have where you just keep adding stuff because you think you want to make it better and better but you do have to stop at some point and I, I think um I guess a lot of advice people give when you're trying to get into games is um, like copy another game just like make Space Invaders or just make you know uh, like Mario again or something which I don't think's the best thing to do necessarily I think I think you can definitely make your own game but I'd, I'd say definitely try and start with mechanics that you know how to make you don't have to try and make the most experimental game like mm. I don't know <laughs> what it would be but you know you can start with something more simple and just understand how those kind of work and then you can try and modify and spread out to something else that hopefully people like and is more unique than when you started it's hard to think of originally like wholly original ideas from the get-go and just be like oh this is the greatest unique idea very good so the last question unless tom wants to throw any your way maybe you can think of some as i ask this if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail what would you do hmm. not make it even more i still wouldn't want to do that <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. It's not, it doesn't have to be related to games even, I'm thinking, eh? <laughs> it, can be, it can be anything, but yeah. I would ultimately like to know what your next or your, I guess, 
dream game to work on would be as well that is a hard one i I don't know i don't really have any like specific dream game like whenever we come up with ideas it is usually daniel that comes up with the base idea and then we will expand off of it yeah that's true i i never really i've never had like a dream idea because i definitely know some developers where they're making a game which is their dream game and they've been wanting to make it they're like since they're a child and that's like their project that they're doing yeah but um, when we made this, we only only started thinking about it in our third year of uni. It was it definitely wasn't like a thing we thought of forever, and mm. I don't really have anything like that. I yeah, guess, no, as, as a da- Daniel definitely come, he's just, he's almost always the one who's like, here's an idea, and we're like, oh yeah, that's cool, or yeah, that's a bit shit. So it's... He, he did have an idea which we're like that's pretty cool and then we actually went kind of deep into thinking about it and then there was a game announced that was pretty much exactly the same idea and we were like glad we didn't do that one I guess like (laughs) yeah so is is there a I guess end goal in your career as game makers like do you want to stay as indie developers or would the goal be to eventually work on some AAA games and that kind of thing I think it's different for all of us Mm. at the moment I think we're all pretty dedicated to keeping Rainbow alive as long as possible if we can yeah but um yeah it's uh it just depends how well our future projects go i i think it would be interesting because we've never none of us have ever done it work work in a triple a studio i think it would be a different experience especially not being the complete creative side of it because you're just doing the job you're not doing the like the vision you're not like creating everything because when you're indie you just have to do everything and um daniel definitely wants that freedom generally um but then uh, i think it'll be interesting to try but it is great being able to make your own stuff and work on your own schedule and um, work on your own ideas. But no, I, th- I think I'd be fine with either, really. But obviously, it's great to do our own stuff right now. <laughs> I think you guys did something reasonably unique as far as I've seen as well in, in getting all of the feedback and, and sharing behind the curtain quite as much as you did with people that were interested in the game. Because the way... You well, as we know, having just experienced E3, the way AAA works is we get a, a trailer and then maybe another trailer and then a gameplay demo and the game comes out. Um, and unless it's some big shared world thing, um, that's kind of the game that you get. Whereas you were even seeking on Twitter feedback on particular deci- decisions that you were trying to make and, and yeah. changing the game on that, which interests me partially in well from my work as well in product yeah we thought it was going to be um we weren't sure if it was going to be like a success to do that or not yeah people would get like too much information about the game and then it would kind of just it would come out and they're like well i already know everything so i don't really care anymore but it was we, people seem to get quite excited about having their mm. input into it into the design of the game so mm. yeah yeah i i think yeah. it's fantastic and yeah, you can't quite work in um, a purely product or agile way and releasing early and often and that sort of stuff, but um, being able to get feedback early and have that strongly influence what you're doing, I think is, is great. Yeah, I mean, it definitely changed a lot of the things we did. And I mean, to be honest, I thought it was kind of common sense to be like, I mean, people are going to buy it, they're going to have wanted a certain way. <laughs> so we... Hmm show those people but then i think i guess why most companies wouldn't do it as spoilers where you don't want to spoil big parts of the game so you you try and hide all that stuff which we definitely did we pretty much showed none of the bosses apart mm. from the first one i think and but yeah maybe it's like crowdsourced play testing or, so, or something like yeah. that that 
that somebody somebody in a triple a studio pays a bunch of people to to play these games and provide feedback whereas uh you're just asking the internet exactly we get it for free <laughs> like that yeah another interesting thing from the way that you've i guess marketed the game was openly sharing it with twitch streamers and influencers and i mean you you gave me a code to play which i really appreciated <laughs> so we could do this interview which is I think worked out pretty well but that approach of uh targeting streamers and getting in there and chatting with them about the game that's uh that's probably a, a fairly fresh idea i think probably haven't really heard of that done that was kind of a spur of the moment kind of thing oh, over this this last year really i've just been super into watching twitch streamers and hanging out in various communities i'm a part of uh too many discord channels um <laughs> And it's like it's really it's really fun being involved in all that sort of stuff. And so I thought, what if we just try and get more involved in the New Zealand streaming um, space? Because I know there's a few people around there, but none of them are like huge aside from Rudism, I suppose. Um, but you know, no one's got like that massive, massive like audience. So it's like, well, we'll get involved in like all the smaller, the smaller group and try and like push them through and help mm. them, help them up. And also hope help and get our game exploded at the yeah. same time. Kind of get out, uh, you know, referee out there. So. It was kind of a win-win situation, and so yeah, reached out to everyone. And yeah, seems to have gone pretty well. I, th- I think it is kind of hard though sometimes to know whether or not someone is like because you have to make the decision: do you give someone a code or not? And we pretty much gave to nearly anyone that that had any proof that they had some way to, you know, to show the game in video Promote or it, yeah. thing. But some people would just be like, "Can I have a free game?" Or like, I mean, if you're not gonna even like provide a youtube channel like i don't know like <laughs> anything and they're just like no nah. and it's like well i don't know so um i feel that that's that's kind of hard but we did try and just give to people even if they didn't have a big audience if one person buys it out of their audience you've essentially lost nothing because you give them a free code and then they get a sale and it's kind of yeah <laughs> you know it's still good i think i've figured out what the final question is johnny just do it when should we expect the reverie battle royale oh Ooh. Everyone drops in with a pet rock equipment. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, <laughs> rocks to biff at each other or or yo-yos. <laughs> Except this time you can name your rock. <laughs> Maybe that's oh, the dream game. Yeah. Maybe that's the dream, dream. game. Yeah. <laughs> that's not happening. I I heard somebody say, and that's really bucking the trend of uh, of game development, which yeah. which is yeah, on enough. brand for you, I think. But if I had a platinum trophy, I'm pretty sure you'd still play it, Tom. Maybe oh, if we made up. We'd definitely include the platinum trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, thanks, Tom Marshall, for sitting in on this one. And, uh, you know, we wish you the best with whatever comes next, and we'll definitely continue to sing the praises of Reverie because it's a Sweet. fantastic game. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Audio Technica. If you want to find today's guests on Twitter, you can find Jared at Jared Trail. Tom Butler is at Butler Stomp. Rainbites Reverie is available now on the PS4 and PS Vita, so check it out and help some great guys. My co-host, Thomas Marshall, you can find at TomDaBomb89, that's T-O-M-D-A-B-O-M, everywhere but Snapchat. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review over in iTunes or check out the rest of the excellent podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective at 8bit.net. You can find me on Twitter at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.